evening, Kanga to Save Mornington Peninsula from me and you. Welcome. This podcast is coming to you from Down Under, or more specifically, Bunurong Country. That's right at the bottom of mainland Australia, just above Tassie. Our little portion of Bunurong Country is called the Mornington Peninsula, which is part of the growing Melbourne city sprawl. The Mornington Peninsula is where the bush meets the bay, and it has rich biodiversity. But, as with any idyllic seaside spot, that biodiversity is under threat from human interference. This podcast will explore the wildlife and environment on the Mornington Peninsula. We'll take a look at how we can best protect what is left and minimise future threats. We hope you stick around. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm today joined with Chris and we're going to discuss the plight of the kangaroo. Chris, hi. Hi, Nick. The way I see it, Chris... We live on the outskirts of Melbourne and, uh, you know, during lockdown, we're uh, part of the Melbourne lockdown and then all of a sudden when it comes to popping roos for harvest programs and that, we're part of the country. Yeah, that is is a shame, isn't it? Like it's really something we um, shouldn't have to put up with. Well, it's the worst of both worlds and we'll discuss about the harvesting program and our concerns for our kangaroo I live opposite a national park. Chris, you've lived on the peninsula most of your life. Most of my adult life, yes, but I want to say up front that I'm not an activist. I just love the Mornington Peninsula environment and and basically the flora and fauna that exists on it. And really, it, living on the peninsula has made me more and more... Uh, mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're actively not an activist. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a landowner. I'm yeah. a morning peninsula, peninsula yep. resident that just loves the environment. Yeah, well, you own quite a bit of land. You've got a, a farm and it's it also has a vineyard and a business on it and some remnant bushland with lots of wildlife. So it's quite a significant but interesting is your area because the peninsula is not that big for people who look it up. Uh, your area is right in a big green belt area. You've got uh, properties on 800 acres, uh, all up about 1,000, 2,000 acres. Is that right? Probably, probably there's probably three or four owners that together combined own 2,500 acres, which is a large slab of yeah. land. Is there much wildlife in that area? Yeah, yeah. It's a combination of, of grazing land and bushland, remnant bushland, and uh, partly cleared woodlands. And yes, there's, there's echidna. Ha- hand on heart. Are they good? Do they know what's on there? How's it work? Are they good looking after the wildlife? Probably not. I, th- I think yeah, the main main issue is ignorance. I think you know a lot of people have, you know think they're farmers and and for farmers they've got mm. to look after the land and fertilise the land and that's doing good for the land. But I think uh, they're not bad people. They're just a bit ignorant about you know the existing wildlife and biodiversity on the peninsula. Also, a lot of these uh, big large farms they also have a management team. So you're really up to how the manager can think about how to manage that land and they can put superphosphate on and 
shoot kangaroos and get a license to if they feel the fences are getting damaged, etc. Yeah. Well, that, that's part of the problem because you're right that most of them do have managers and the owner of the land quite often relies on the manager to tell him what needs to be done. And so quite often it's the fact that they get a land manager who's used to running farms and thinks that that's what they've got to do on the peninsula. Mm. And when you like when you employ people, you do listen to what they have to say because that's why you pay them. That's right. To yeah. do it. Yeah. Like I think everyone knows what a kangaroo is for all our overseas listeners. Um, I know in our koala podcast we're already getting people listening from um, Ireland. I won't ask you what is a kangaroo, but just basically there's a couple of types of kangaroos, isn't there? Well, there's actually over 60 different varieties or were over 60 different varieties. When you say were, were they merged into each other? 50% of our existing kangaroo population is either uh, endangered or extinct. So there's only 30 that are really in What, climate change or...? Probably more loss of habitat. Loss of habitat, yeah. yeah. So, like, their big uh, significant kangaroo is called the red kangaroo. Now, that weighs 90 kilos. That's pretty big. That's the size of a, a six-foot bloke. Yeah, huge. Yeah. yeah. And um, the ones we have in the Mornington Peninsula are the eastern grey, and they're only 66 kilos. Now, when you come up against a big eastern grey, can you believe how big these reds must be? Wow, like I say, they really are impressive. You see a big old male standing on its hind legs and, and with its chest pushed out. Yeah, and the barrel chest. Yeah, that's right. I walk past them most mornings when I go, you know, for a walk and that, and I go past these big ones and they stand there and you've got to sort of get past them. And I think I'm so glad you're not a big red. <laughs> uh, big reds are, in, you know, are on the endangered or basically they've got habitat loss. I find that hard to yeah, believe, I and I'll tell you why, because in the 70s, driving across the Nullarbor, yeah. if you didn't have a rhubarb, as they used to call them, yeah. on your car, to, to sort of you would not drive across the Nullarbor, there was that many. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, we'll talk about later about the harvesting program, but... As part of that, they've stopped harvesting big reds simply because they're not around. Like, really, the the population has plummeted. I guess there's a business side of, you know, shooting that you need to drive around to find these and it's not worth the diesel, I believe, to to get the meat. Correct, yeah, yeah. And and sadly, we'll get onto it, but... They've gone from the big red to the eastern grey because yeah, well, it's the next one on the list. That well, I think the on. eastern grey should yeah. stand up, you know, and help out its big red. And they're like, <laughs> look, there's dogs around Australia and cats around Australia that need to be fed. And I think it's very important that we all contribute. If we lose a few roos along the way, you know, seems to be the opinion. Their famous um, means of locomotion is hopping. They can reach huge speeds, 60 k's an hour. Yeah, crazy. Have you seen them go that fast? No, but I have. So they, I've seen them in fright, and they really, really can move. Even the even the large ones, the the, the bounds, the the actual leap they've got is enormous. Oh yeah, I think it's like can do eight meters. Yeah. in a single bound. Yeah. they can't go backwards though. No, and that gets to my first fun fact: is that it's for this reason they're featured on the Australian coat of arms, an animal that can only move forwards as a symbol of national progress until they shoot it for dog food. (laughs) (laughs) So what we have down in Mornington Peninsula are kangaroos and swamp wallabies. Why why do they call them swamp wallabies? Straight away you're feeling as though they're just like living in a swamp or something. Yeah, well, they're they're fairly um, loners, really, swamp wallabies, and and they do like sort of wet uh, gullies where they they sort of hang out in. That's their hangout place. You'll find them in other areas, but that's that's generally their, their habitat, yeah. They're very shy. 
you know, compared to a kangaroo, they're often by themselves and when you go near them, they actually bounce away and they just – it's as though the first time they've jumped, they're really clumsy and smash into things yeah, compared yeah. to the – as though they're panicking straight away yeah. compared to a kangaroo who looks is so elegant in mm. comparison. Mm. But they are like cousins, aren't they? Oh, definitely, yeah. Now, one's a browser yeah. being, and one's a grazer. Yeah. And I reckon the poor kangaroo gets a lot of criticism from all the wallabies eating things and, the, yeah. and they go, let's shoot kangaroos when it's actually the wallaby that you should be shooting. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that is true scientific fact. You know, wallabies will eat apples, they'll, they'll browse on crops, they'll browse on trees, they'll bra- browse on a range of things, whereas kangaroos... Basically, certain types of grasses, certain types of grass and native grasses, and, and so they don't really even eat European grasses that are planted in pasture. So you know they're, they're really causing no harm to pastures that are on the peninsula for sheep and cattle. I agree, and and in fact, I look down at my dam in the, in the paddock there, and we've always got a mob of kangaroos around there. I've never in all these years yet see them once drink out of the dam. I saw them once right near the dam once and I got the binoculars. I think someone's one of them's drinking out of the dam and it wasn't. It was they must get so much water just from the grasses. Yeah, they do. That, that, that's that's like, I'm sure they've been shot for t- drinking water <laughs> and they poor little things. They're much maligned. Yeah. The other thing mm. with the peninsula, like the peninsula is blessed with rainfall. It's blessed with grass. It's blessed with a, an unbelievable uh, Mediterranean climate. You know, we're not living in outback Australia where there's no water, no. there's no grass, there's no threat whatsoever to the peninsula. Well, we can't be living in outback Australia because outback Australia has never been locked down by COVID. <laughs> Did you know in that year we're locked down, the kangaroo population did go up a couple on the <laughs> peninsula. How are kangaroos and wallabies threatened on the peninsula? The first one I'm going to say is I think the culling harvest program and shooter's licence, like I don't even, can you explain what the difference is? Yeah, because you've got them mixed up. There's two different programs there. One is the culling program, yeah. which is basically all a farmer has to do or a landowner has to do is say that they've got a plague of kangaroos or they've got problems with kangaroos and they can get a licence to basically cull kangaroos off their property to a certain level. The harvesting program, on the other hand, is a more recent innovation from the government whereby they've allowed shooters to commercially harvest kangaroos for meat, for export and hides. So there's two different programs going to actually take out our poor eastern grey kangaroo. You can actually get access to the uh, shooter's licences and there's 365 on the peninsula, which is... I guess if you've got 10,000 kangaroos, it's not a big number, but I reckon there's probably only 1,000. That's 365 animals that they can take out. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But the harvest program, that could be like, I think it's 7,000 in Gippsland, including the Mornington Peninsula. That's right. There's no way we've got that much numbers. No. So it's not sustainable. No. So the good news is it won't happen forever. The bad news is that there might not be any kangaroos left when they re- until they realise that, you yeah. know. I think if you put a bounty on an animal, you're guaranteed to put that animal out of business. Yeah. You know, basically what you're talking about, and it's true, in in Australia we've got this colonialism whereby our wildlife is an asset to kill and basically it's not value. It's a bit like fishing really, isn't it? I mean, you're not having to pay money to get a kangaroo. You only have to pay to have it killed. And you can't blame somebody whose business it is to kill kangaroos to want to, you know, have a living. I mean, we all got to live. 
but it's just a, it doesn't need to have a bounty on in the first place. That's where the problem is. Yeah. As soon as you put a bounty on something, you've really wiped that animal from the planet. That's right. The second point, which is probably equal first point, is urban sprawl. I feel as though that's probably a big thing down the peninsula maybe. Oh, it's huge. I mean, I mean that's the, the peninsula's biggest problem with, with our kangas really. You know, basically lots of small properties, lots of fences, lots of uh, you know, land cleared, you know, loss of habitat, You're breaking up that habitat, breaking down our bio links. You know, really the kangaroo needs to be able to move through its natural habitat and when that's broken up, it creates a major problem. Just on that, how long do you reckon the kangaroos have been down here? On well, how long have they been on Earth? Believe it or not, kangaroos have been here for thirty million years. Thirty million. Wow. Yeah. Do you think the way it's going, they're going to be here for another thirty million? Well, yeah. We keep going back to that red kangaroo. No one would have thought that would dis- you know, start to disappear, and it has. And the biggest problem is you put a population under stress and, and under stress you means culling, what happens? And then mm. they get a bit of sickness or climate change and all of a sudden they're threatened. Mm. Also, you are saying before about fencing, you said that you're putting up fences, but they can jump over fences. Yes, but the problem is that the, the, the farmer is always blaming the kangaroo, not the fence. You know, fences are you know basically in poor state of maintenance and, and loose, and so what loose wires kangaroos can get caught on, they get caught up in the fence, and then it's not the fence that gets blamed; it's the kangaroo. That's yeah. the biggest issue. If you've got good, good low fences that kangaroos can get over, they're fine. If you put kangaroo gates in, it's fine. Just let them pass and pass through like they always have. It's a tricky situation. I understand where I live. There's a lot of those really big high fences, you know, those ones you see in South Africa. So the kangaroo people, fences. Oh, the yeah. fauna fences. Yeah. And also they're just not kangaroos they stop. They stop everything. Everything. Yep. You know, they look like, I don't know if you ever watched Tokens Heroes when you were little, you know, like. They Starlight look like 13. Starlight. <laughs> was it Starlight 13? Yeah, was it? Yeah. yeah, they look like that. And it's just like so ugly, but it seems to be. The, the fashion, so these two guys that have done the mapping of these fences on the peninsula, and they said they just can't keep up with them. There's yeah. so many fences going up, but they've mapped the peninsula. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I can't understand, and, and this is, you know, something that I always, uh, you know, just are so amazed about, is when I see a kangaroo in its natural habitat just moving through the bush or moving through a paddock, it's the most amazing thing to ever see. And to put up a fence to block that out, I just can't – It just, I can't fathom it. I can't understand why people – what, they just want to look at cows in their paddock? <laughs> I don't know. It just it just seemed to be a bit monoculture, doesn't it? It's yeah. like if I was a local government guy and I sort of said, well, I'm just going to charge you, say, $50 a metre for putting up these big high fences so it ends up being a few thousand, I reckon they get pulled down pretty quickly, but I might get lynched if I suggested it, so I'm not <laughs> suggesting it. Right? That is not one of my suggestions. So dogs, Chris, that's another problem for or threat for I have seen dogs chase down kangaroos. That's right. You know, basically, their only natural predator they've got are really dogs and humans. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it would be like 50-50 for the kangaroo or do you think humans would be like 99% dogs won? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, yeah, they're on our side. And when you consider, if you're a dog, why would you chase kangaroos when you know the harvesting program is just going to give it to you back in a can that night? <laughs> A can that night. Why bother? (laughs) Roadkill. Yeah, yeah. I think actually what roadkill does do, it shows you where there probably is healthy populations on it. It's a sad thing, but at least what what really irks me is the fact that 
it doesn't seem like councils or anyone really does anything about it. You know, they just keep getting hit, getting hit, you know, cars getting, you know, hit, you know, the OHS issue with you know, people getting injured. Like, you know, you'd think if you've got healthy populations and there's roadkill, why not put a lot of effort, time and effort into fixing that problem in those areas? Well, they're trying to put up those virtual fences now. Mm-hmm. They're testing those out on the peninsula where they emit some sand of a night time, which is most of them get hit of a night time. It's only when I started to research, and that's what people got to do, is just start to get informed. And what mm. I found is that kangaroos have got a very, very small area that they actually hang out in. You know, it's it's around a one to two kilometres, and that's their that, that's their patch. And what they need is exactly what mm. you said. They need some wooded land for protection. They need some grassland to feed in, and there's and they need the area they can traverse. So they need to have be able to either get over fences or get under fences, and that's it. So on the peninsula, we've got a few hotspots, but they're pretty limited, really. And for people overseas too, roadkill is like dead animals on the side of the road, and it's huge in Australia. In fact, I know somebody that travelled around Tasmania for one month and lived off roadkill. Wow. <laughs> it did. Uh, well, the, the interesting thing is I've got another fact. It's got nothing to do with roadkill. But it blew me away. In the UK, you know, we talk about, you know, how issues with our biodiversity. But in the UK, do you know how many native species of mammals there are in the UK? How many? About five. Yeah, in the whole of the UK. So that, uh, what chances are they getting roadkill in the UK? Yeah. Zero. I you know. know. The fact that we have got roadkill, uh, you know, it's not a great thing, but it just shows you. I know. Australia is blessed with wildlife. You know, why are we getting rid of it? If it's a traffic light, roadkill's yellow, isn't it? Like it's telling you it's going right. to go red soon. That's right. Protect them. When you stop seeing it, there's a big problem. So that's a kangaroo cough. Have you ever heard that? No, I haven't. Really? No. Oh. Now you have. <laughs> Sounds like it was in the morning sometime. <laughs> yeah, it's a smoker's cough, or as they call it, a kanga cough. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by Nichemark, your right-hand team for digital marketing, social media, and podcasting. Thinking of starting a podcast? You do the talking, we do the tech. Contact Nishmark to get started.